The title of this message, if you're taking notes, is Of the Lost Sheep. So last week, if you remember, we learned about the man who was born blind. Jesus healed him miraculously, had this huge argument between him and the Pharisees, and then basically told them, you are blind because you think that you see, and that, therefore your sin remains. So he goes on in that context, verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we pray that you go before this time of teaching. Lord, we need your wisdom to understand any part of the scriptures. But Lord, we know even as we walk in this life, and we can be confused about a lot of things, but we can still take some time to listen to your voice and to hear what you're saying to your church, to your people. We want to be directed by you. We want to be led by you. We want to walk into fullness of joy. We don't want to have to walk through our life kind of just wondering what we're doing and, and being all gloomy. But Lord, you can turn even those tears into tears of joy. So be with us now. Teach us through your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this passage... Uh, Jesus starts using the metaphor of sheep. He talks about him being the shepherd that calls his own. And what's so interesting about sheep, and I'm sure that you Bible students have heard this before, is that sheep are very dumb. They're not good uh, leaders. They're only followers. And so if a sheep's grazing, it's so focused on the grass that it's just kind of going off in the line and just keeps on going, it'll wander away from the fold. That's why in, in Isaiah chapter 53, it says that we, like sheep, have all gone astray. It's because they knew. This is the culture that they lived in. They knew that sheep were just dumb animals. They know what they're doing. They just follow whatever. But there are some key char characteristics about sheep that Jesus points out to illustrate how we are like sheep. So besides the fact that we're needy, besides the fact that we're just followers, and the fact that we're dumb, he doesn't just insult us. And how do I know that? Because Jesus himself claimed to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the, the world. The great shepherd became a lamb, the perfect spotless lamb that we can never be. Now, if you know anything about being helpless, <laughs> I do, because the past two weeks my mom was in Japan, and many of you have been following Feed Allen 2014 hashtag, where um, I've been going over people's houses to get meals, because I know nothing about cooking. The last time I tried, some of you know the story, I tried cooking couscous, the five-minute couscous, and, like, I didn't have the proper lid. I was, like, texting every, like, woman that I knew that had, knew how to cook remotely, and I was just like, quick, I only have five minutes, tell me what to do, and it's, like, stir, and I didn't know, like, there's a wooden spoon, a metal spoon, a plastic spoon. It's, like, it doesn't tell you which one. So, okay, you can tell I'm kind of helpless. I don't know what I'm doing, and so... Rather than learning like a responsible adult that I should be, I decided to go over people's houses. And uh, 
this past week, I didn't plan it so well. So some nights, like last night, I hit the, the lowest of lows. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for dinner on a hamburger bun. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, my mom always makes fun of me. Like, she's, I mean, because my mom, she's the best mom ever. And she cooks for me and stuff. And she always tell me, like, Alan, you know, when you get married, you're going to have to start doing this and start doing that. She always tell me, like, Alan, you're going to have to, you know, when you get married. And then one day, just out of nowhere, instead of saying when you get married, she's like, Alan, if you get married one day. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, I don't know, maybe you're not going to get married. So I think she's implying that if I'm helpless, no one will want to marry me. But <laughs> good news for us sheep that our security does not depend on our intelligence or ability, but on our shepherd. Isn't that comforting to know that it's not dependent on your ability? Just like my survival is not dependent on my ability to cook, I have someone to take care of me, as pitiful as that is. Think about it this way. As sheep, it is not dependent on our own ability or intellect to survive, only that we follow the good shepherd. So the only thing you have to keep in mind is who are you following? Are you following a good shepherd or are you listening to the voices of other people that are only going to rob you and to steal from you, people that will take advantage of you? So he says in verse 1, he says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and the robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls uh, his own sheep by name and leads them out. And they know his voice. So to explain this picture, back in those days, they would have a sheepfold. So all the, the shepherds would, in the town... At night, to protect the sheep from wolves or whatever else, thieves, they would all put them in this, uh, usually a rock enclosure, where there would be a, a person, a gatekeeper, who would protect the sheep overnight. And so you pay the guy or whatever, and he took care of them. And then the next day, you would go back, and the shepherd would actually draw his own sheep out just by simply giving his, his, his own kind of sheep call. And because they know his voice, the sheep, even though as dumb as they are, they all know how to listen. And so they'll follow the shepherd based on his voice and they'll come out. And did you know, it doesn't matter how, how much you feel like you just, you can't see God work. It, I, I can't, I don't know how God's working in this situation, you know. It just seems so dark or so gloomy or so, so confusing. It doesn't matter how how difficult the situation seems, you always have the opportunity to listen to God's voice. You see, it's not by sight we walk by faith. And so we all have the opportunity to listen to what God is saying, even as dark and gloomy as it might seem in our lives. But in our lives, we will have many different voices calling at once. Are you listening to the right voice? There's going to be a lot of shepherds saying a lot of different things. There's going to be a lot of people that try to lead you down different paths. A lot of different religious leaders. There's going to be, just like here, and the Pharisees are telling this blind man, you got to follow our rules, our regulations. They're saying to uh, the blind man that he has to do this one thing. They're saying to Jesus, you need to follow the Sabbath and you can't heal people on this day. There will be a lot of different people in your own life who are going to tell you different conflicting things. 
Uh, you're going to have political leaders trying to take advantage of you and take your vote and say, you should subscribe to this, you should follow this person and do this and do that. And uh, many of you remember Coney 2012, uh, 2012, the most successful PR campaign in my own opinion ever because it just changed everyone's votes overnight and like all of a sudden everyone's passionate about like getting rid of this guy named Coney who they previously knew nothing about. So the world wants to get your attention and wants you to take action in their favor. The world wants you to follow them and they're screaming at you, advertisements, media, well, you can't even go on the, you know, Huffington Post. You can't go on New York Times without an ad on the side trying to draw your attention. A pop-up with a video or something like that. You're going to have friends that are talking, you, uh, talking to you to do certain things. Hey, man, can you bail me out? Can you do this one thing? Hey, man, would you like to try this? Can you do this for me? Or they'll try to peer pressure you into doing things that you previously would have never done. Maybe even your own insecurities and doubts are that voice. And you're questioning yourself. You're questioning whether God actually loves you. You're starting to doubt him. Well, how do you know what voice to listen to? How do you know which one's right? Because maybe they're saying some things that are really true, right? Like maybe the voice that's going on in your head is you are a failure. And you're like, well, that's true. I definitely failed this week. I definitely messed up this week. I sinned this week. Or I let down that person. And that voice that's inside your head is going, yeah, you are a mess up. Yeah, you are a failure. Or other people are telling you these things. You are a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. How do you know which voice to listen to? Well, listen very carefully. The more you know God, the more you will know his voice. And you have to listen to the voice of God above every other voice. So when voices are calling... Don't ask yourself, what are they saying? Ask yourself, what does God say? What does God say about this situation? What does God say about my life? You don't have to know every other voice. You don't have to know what every other voice is saying about you. Just like he says, if there's a stranger that comes in some other way, he's a robber and he's a thief. Let me put it in a, in a way of illustration. Let's say, ladies, that you're about to go on a blind date and your best friend's like, man... I'm going to set you up with the guy of your dreams. You're totally going to be like, holla, and whatever else you young people say. And so the day has come. It's 7.30 p.m. You're going to go out. You're going to have a great time. You're waiting by the door. And then all of a sudden you hear a knock on your window upstairs. And this guy creeps in through the window, and he's dressed in a nice suit, but it's just a creepy guy just crawl through the window. Are you going to listen to whatever he has to say? Probably not, because he's a creep. Who comes in through the window? So, in the same way, if a person comes in the wrong way and comes under the, the non-societal norm, you don't have to listen to what they're going to say. Now, maybe you're like, well, he looks really nice. He has a really nice suit and he looks really cute. Yeah, he's crazy. He just came through the window. He's about to snatch your people up. So hide your kids and hide your wife. This is what Jesus kind of is saying when he says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Why is that? Because the door has established no method to get into the house. So when strangers are telling you things, you don't have to evaluate what they're saying. Just ask yourself, what is God saying? It doesn't matter what that strangest person. It doesn't even matter what I believe about myself. The question is, what does God believe about me? 
You see, a robber and a thief, their whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. If there's a robber that comes in and breaks in through your house, his only reason for being there is to steal things from you. doesn't matter how nice he is, how pleasant he is, and how much he apologizes. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just came in through the window. I should have came in through the door. He came in through the window. So don't listen to him. Just hold it up to the truth of what God says. So when other voices say, you know what? You're not good enough to go to heaven. Might be true. But you know what? The fact is, that's not the end of the story. Jesus came down into this world so that it doesn't matter how good you are as long as you trust in the good shepherd. When other voices ask you, why bother following God if you're just going to be a mess up in the end? Why are you trying so hard if you're just going to fail anyway? You're going to disappoint God. You're going to disappoint everyone. You're going to disappoint your youth leaders, your parents. If you try to follow after God, we know you're going to stumble back into sin anyway. We'll combat that with God's word. Like it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, when you know God's voice, you will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him because you don't know the voice of strangers. Doesn't matter how loud the voice is, doesn't matter if it's screaming in your ear, it's not God's voice and you don't have to listen to it. Doesn't matter what other sheep are doing, all of a sudden sheep are just going out wherever they want to go. Does not matter because they are not the voice of God and you know your shepherd and you follow after him. So when you know God's voice, no other voice matters. So let me ask you this. Do you know what God's voice sounds like? Do you know? Have you spent time with him? Have you read his word? If you don't know what his voice sounds like, it's very hard to know where he is when he calls. That's why it's so important to read God's word, to come to Bible studies, to learn more about him. And when you know God's voice, you'll know how gentle and how different he is from every other shepherd, from every other voice, from every other person in this world. The contrast. Think about the contrast of the way that this is even presented. When you have uh, people that are shepherds in the West, they drive their sheep. They have sheep dogs. They chase them around and they get them into the pen. And they make them do whatever they want to do by force. In the East and in this culture, all he has to do is call them. And not just call them, but call them by name. You see, you're God's. You're his own. And to some of you, you're like, no one owns me and whatever. You kind of have that pride. But listen, when he owns you, that's a good thing. A person who doesn't own you doesn't care about you. They're only in there for their own self-interest. Like, you will never care for a dog like you do your own dog, right? Not trying to compare you with a dog like you're God's puppies or something. Like, God really cares about you. But I'm, you don't have kids, so I can't, like, use that as an illustration. So you never care about someone else's dog like the way it is your dog because it's your dog. So in a same way, but not so same God loves us and calls us intimately by name. It says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 and 2, Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. We know that famous passage in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. If you're following the Lord, you should be led into green pastures, still waters. He should be restoring your soul. If you're walking around and you're kind of burdened and you're walking around in misery and weariness, ask yourself, which shepherd am I following? Am I listening to the voice of God? Am I following after him? Or am I following after the voices of other people? It says in Isaiah chapter 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Just like it says in this, this passage, the shepherd also goes before the sheep. He makes sure that there's no danger ahead of them. If you're wandering away from the shepherd, you will face those trials. You will be on the Rocky Mountains and you'll go through the waters and you'll be in all this turmoil and you won't have anyone to go before you. You won't have anyone to protect you. So if you're in that place where you're finding it hard, you're finding it a burden, you're fi finding a lot of suffering for suffering's sake, there seems to be no good that comes out of it. Ask yourself, am I following the true shepherd? Now look at verse 7. It says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and, and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Let me explain that. Because some of you are like, I am the door. He just says he's the shepherd. What is that? What? Is it like getting confused with his illustrations? No. This is really cool too. So check this out. In those days, when they had those rocked enclosures and they had the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper would literally himself be the door. He would be the one keeping out the wolves. He would lie down at the, the entrance into the sheepfold. So at night, if there were any wolves coming into the sheepfold, they would have to literally go over his dead body. And if there was any sheep that wanted to escape, they would literally have to go over the door. Him. You see, Jesus is your protector. This shows us two things. It shows us that God has come to give us joy not just live this miserable, suffering life where we're just kind of like, oh, this is, you know, I'm living for God. Yeah, I'm trying really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. It's awesome. Life full of joy. And number two, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The world only wants to rob you of joy. You see, God doesn't want you to live this miserable life. He has joy and that more abundantly, life to the full. Not just talking about heaven, he's talking about life here on earth as well. God wants to feed you. He wants to give you an abundance. And the world only wants to fleece you. The world looks at you, sizes you up and says, what can I take away from this person? You see, that's why I'm so wary about people that want to get in relationships that are not godly relationships. Because you ask yourself, on what basis does this person like me? Is it my looks? Is it my character? You see, it's very hard to love as God loves if you don't know the God of love. And God's kind of love is very different 
than the world's kind of love. I'm not saying that if you're worldly, you can't experience love at all, but I am questioning the motives of a person who is getting in a relationship with a Christian when you're unequally yoked. Because the world only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. It asks the question, what can I take away from this person? And that's exact, uh, the exact difference between lust and love. Love looks to give yourself to someone else. Lust looks to take away from someone else. And the minute they get something that they want, they'll move on. And that's why people bounce from relationship to relationship. Look, it happens all over in Hollywood. You know, one person's married for like a day and they move on to someone else. Because as soon as they get what they've wanted, some people, I'll just be really honest with you, some guys see girls as targets, obstacles, and trophies. And the minute they get what they want from you, they're going to leave you and, and find someone else. You got to be careful of the wolves that are in the world. And if you're disillusioning yourself, because some people say, you know what? They're basically a good person. Deep down inside, everyone's a good person. No, not everyone is a good person. There are very few people that I would even consider good. And God says, there is none good, no, not one. And unless you allow your heart to be transformed from the inside out, it's going to be very hard, almost impossible, if not impossible, to love someone with that selfless love. Even for Christians, how much more is it difficult for a person who's not a Christian? So you got to be careful of those wolves. The world will do this by stealing from you, from, uh, by killing, and also by destroying, it says in verse 10. First of all, stealing. Now when it talks about stealing, it's not just saying like, okay, uh, I worked at a gas station for five years, and there was this one time, it wasn't at my gas station, but it happened while I was working, a guy at a different Exxon tried to steal the guy's cash. So what did he do? Well, he was like, hey, you got any change for 20? And the guy pulled out his wad of cash, and he was just like, and then he started running, and then he got tackled. And then that was it, and the cops picked him up, and he got put in jail. That was dumb, and I always think about this like, it seems like on the news, all the people that are committing these robberies are really dumb people that don't think these things out. Um, no. When it's talking about stealing, the world uses deception, uses temptation. It looks for your weaknesses. It's cunning. It asks, what is this person's weakness and how can I get this person to stumble? And then it kills. Then it actually provides the means for you to stumble. It's looking at you and says, you know what? I know this person's weakness is when they're all alone. So I'm going to put them in a situation when they are all alone. I know this person's weakness is when they're out with their friends that aren't Christian. And so I'm going to put them in a situation when they're in, with their friends that aren't Christian. And then it destroys. It wants you to never come back to the knowledge of truth. Okay, so it's stolen from you. It deceived you. It put you in the bad situation. You stumbled and now it makes you feel guilty. Look at what you've done. Can you believe what it, you call yourself a Christian and you think you can go back to church and, and who do you think you are? God will never accept you. It wants to make sure that you never come back to the only person who can ever heal you, the good shepherd. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of man will always be at odds. One will always look to steal from you and one will always look to give you joy. You can't have both. You can't say, well, I'm going to have a little bit of both because they are in uh, stark contrast to each other. 
The role will make you ask all these different questions. Should I go to Wildwood after prom? Should I send that picture to that person? Even though it's a little bit licentious, even though it's a little bit racy. It wants you to be tempted so that it can destroy you so that you never feel like you're able to come back. But the one way to find true joy is only through Christ Jesus. And thankfully, God is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one who has wandered away. All we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. But God died for those sheep. He became a lamb. The good shepherd became a lamb to sacrifice himself for us because he loves us. It's not like you escape and he's like, well, that's it. No, but he knows you because you are his and he has called you by name. But it is tempting and it is deceiving and the world knows that. And so it'll tell you, no, don't listen to, the, don't listen to this Bible study. Listen, it's going to shout out a voice when you're at your moment of weakness and you have to remind yourself, I don't have to listen to this voice. I just need to listen to the voice of the Lord. But here's the good news. If you enter in the door, you will be safe. Just as the gatekeeper protects people from wolves, if you want to leave, you're going to have to step over Jesus. You will knowingly have to violate your conscience and say, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Jesus wants to make sure that you don't stumble, that you will never fall. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about the Gentiles Reaching the people that aren't part of the flock. You know, you feel like you don't fit in. God is all about bringing in the people that are willing. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like you're a misfit or like, well, I'm a black sheep. I don't know if I'm going to fit into this flock. God says, I got to bring those people because I know that they belong with me. Even though they didn't start out that way. That's what he did with the Gentiles. All that aren't Jews, he brought them into his flock, his people. You see, the world tries to deliver all these promises, or it makes all these promises, but it can't deliver them. It can't follow through with them. And so you'll see it in advertisements. And sometimes they laugh at how, how crazy these advertisements get in, in the media today. Let me just read you what I found from Coca-Cola's uh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the panda African version of Coca-Cola. It's like instead of polar bears, you know, pandas. Coca-Cola. Cola, co Coca-Cola. <laughs> wow. They've had an evolution of their slogan over the years, and I found it really interesting, so pay attention. Here we go. In 1886, their slogan was, drink Coca-Cola. In 1924, is refresh yourself. 1959, be really refreshed. 1976, Coke adds life. 2009, open happiness. 2011, life begins here. Wow, that's a bold claim. As soon as you open a bottle of Coke, life begins now. 
I think a lot of people are searching in all the wrong places. And it's not going to happen in a bottle of Coke. You're going to meet a lot of people in your life that will say, listen, I can fix your life. I know, I know exactly what you're going through. And listen, I've been through the same thing. And I think we can, we can do this together. The people are going to make a lot of promises. And you might be the person that trusts them. Can you really trust them? Can you really believe that this person that understands you, that gets you, that thing that you saw and it's like, this is the common cure. Like, I, I always think it's really strange when there's those advertisements of like, the cure for cancer has been found and it's in this, this uh, whatever, this organic regimen that no one knows about and the government doesn't want you to know about. It's like, really? It's like, really, there, there has been a cure and we just haven't known about it. But they want to deliver these promises. Why? Because they want to take away from you. They just want your money. And it aggravates me when I see even on uh, Christian TV channels, you'll have those people that say, if you only buy this magic holy water, you'll be rich forever. And it's like, so why do you need my money? Just give me free magic holy water. Awesome. Yeah, if you take this holy water, you'll never be sick again. Oh, yeah, but why don't you die? I mean, <laughs> why don't you not die? <laughs> so I messed up. I'm not having a stroke yet. Don't worry. There's only one good shepherd that actually cares for you, that actually can save you. The other shepherds can't care about you in the same way because only God owns you. The hireling doesn't care. In other words, you would have in those days, the person who was the gatekeeper, the door, the person who's washing the sheep, uh, while everyone else is sleeping, when all the, the shepherds bring their flocks into the sheepfold, if you just hire the guy, the minute there's a wolf and his life's in danger, you think he's going to like be like, oh, I'm going to fight, I'm going to die this valiant death. No, he's going to run away. He got his money and he didn't pay to die. So he's just going to run away. The person who's obligated doesn't care. If you're just like, son, you need to raise my sheep and I'm going to make you watch the sheep. The minute that there's a wolf, he's going to run away again because he doesn't care about the sheep. He's just in it for his own interests. What a contrast between the hireling and the person of Jesus. You see, he says, I willingly lay down my life. Now, when he says that, he's not just dying for no reason. He's not just being like the suicidal maniac that's just like, see how much I love you, and then he just dies. No. He says, I'm willing to lay down his life. Can you see if he just dies? That defeats the whole purpose because then the sheep are left unattended and then it's like, okay, you died, but now you have wolves and they're going to kill us. But he says, not only am I willing to lay down my life, but I take it up again and I have the power to do that. You see, Jesus risked it all. I mean, who's going to risk their life for sheep? But God cares about you so much that he would come into this world and take part of the suffering which we ourselves endure to keep us from harm so that all you have to do is trust in him and not in yourself. Look at verse 17. It says, Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. You see, this is a plan that was ordained before even time began that Jesus would come down but it wasn't like he was obligated it wasn't God the father saying you better go down and you better die for those people because that's messed up 
He says, I willingly, I gladly do this for you. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, it wasn't this miserable, like, oh, I have this appointed time in which I'm going to die. But he loves you. God the Father loves you, but Jesus loves you too. He did this command willingly and joyfully. Here's something really important that we all have to take into consideration. Did you know that you can suffer joyfully when you do one of two things? Or both two things. Number one, you suffer for the one that you love. And your suffering brings the person that you love joy. I'll say it again. You can suffer joyfully when you, number one, suffer for the person you love. And number two, your, suffer, uh, your suffering brings out joy in the person that you love. If you really care about someone, maybe you've gone to that age where you finally, you know, you have a crush on someone, you care about someone. All of a sudden, you just want to do stuff for people. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, you'll go out, you'll, like, take out the garbage, you'll clean their house. Like, you'll do whatever it takes. And you do it joyfully because you know it's going to make them happy. You'll make things. You'll, like, if you're a girl, I guess, you'll, like, knit things and, like, make them for guys. And I don't know what you girls do. But, and then you'll, like, you know, as you're kind of knitting, you'll, like, poke yourself. And, like, you have this giant wound and it's bleeding and you have to go to the hospital. But you do it joyfully because <laughs> you know you're knitting and your suffering is going to bring forth joy unless he thinks it's really tacky and then just pretends he likes it. One of the reasons why Jesus came is so that we don't have to suffer selfishly. You don't have to suffer just for the sake of suffering, but now we can suffer in service to God and to one another. So let me ask you this. When you're suffering in your life, is your suffering self-centered or others-centered? Think about whatever you're going through, whatever the biggest obstacle in your life is right now. Is that suffering self-centered or other-centered? Are you suffering in your knees? Your knees are all bruised up because you've been praying for your lost brother or sister every single night. Are you suffering from tiredness because you've been up all night reading your Bible? Are you suffering for your friend or your family member because you were running errands for them all day while they were sick? Or are you suffering because... I don't know if anyone cares about me. I don't know if anyone actually loves me. You know what? We all have times like that. But you know what? Jesus' death on the cross shows us that you never have to suffer for yourself. You are free to suffer for other people. And that kind of suffering will always bring joy. Because you see what it does for God and you see what it does for other people. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, freely you have received, now freely give. He said, as you've received from me, we love others because he first loved us. We can go and do that to other people. And if Christ wasn't self-centered, but had every right to be, he had every right to be like, hey guys, wash my feet. Instead, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. He was other-centered. His entire life. Now, here's where I have to give an apology. Because I think I recently, I mean, probably not recently, probably my whole life. This is what's really been convicting me. 
is that I feel like I've been very self-centered as a person. Even my conversations with some of you people, I feel I've been like mostly about my life because sometimes I find my life really interesting. <laughs> and so I like to talk about my life. But I'm realizing sometimes I'll talk to you about some interesting things that happened in my week, but I didn't have a chance to ask you about how you're doing, about what's going on in your life, how I can pray for you. You see, so I was like heavily convicted in this. And I was listening to an old message by my youth pastor from years ago. He's on something called the sphere of influence. And he said two things that he learned at a very young age that he kept his kind of his motto in life. And you might want to write this down because I think it's really interesting. And this is what really provoked my conscience. Number one, the two lessons he learned in his life at a young age. Number one, as long as there is breath in my lungs, God is not done with me. As long as there is breath in my lungs, God is not done with me. Number two, as long as there are people, I have a ministry. As long as there are people, I have a ministry. So he talks about this concept called the sphere of influence. Imagine every single person here around you is this bubble. A sphere. This bubble that you have is your sphere of influence. When a person enters this bubble, however big your bubble is, just imagine a bubble. Maybe it's eight feet. Maybe it's the width of this entire room. However big your bubble, when a person enters your bubble, you have a responsibility to bless that person. To be the fragrance of Christ to that person. Now if you think in this kind of a way, it'll change your perspective on everything. Because all of a sudden, this person's a burden. I can't believe that this person would say that. And, oh, no, they've entered my bubble. Now I have to be a blessing to them. You're driving on the parkway or Route 9 or something. And as you're driving, this person cut me off. But wait, they're in your sphere of influence. Now, how can I pray for that person? How can I be a blessing? How can I be other-centered rather than self-centered? You see, as Jesus has called us, to be an influence in this world, to turn it upside down, to have an impact. Every single one of you can have a ministry, can have an influence on other people because that is why, one of the reasons why Jesus came to this world so that, that we don't have to live for ourselves, but now we can live to God and we can live for his children and his people. So all of a sudden I was really mad and I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to show them who's boss. And oh wait, now they're in my sphere of influence. Now, how can I bless that person Maybe they're going through a tough time. Maybe they've just had a really rough week. Maybe I can pray for that person instead. Many people, I think, look at their sphere of influence and the people inside of it as a burden and not a blessing. But why don't we try seeing people as God sees? You see, as Jesus is the good shepherd and lays his life down for the sheep, realize that's every single sheep that's in this flock. Everybody here. If you don't get along with someone in here, they're a, a person that Jesus has died for. We've talked about some leapism, some, some quotes that we've developed through our Leap in the Dark series. And I've, and I've uh, shared with you a biblical truth that it doesn't matter what you've done because that's what people think. People look at you and define you by, by what you've done, but God defines you by, by what you become, right? That goes for other people too. That goes for people in your sphere of influence and people that you don't necessarily even care about because God cares about people. 
When Jesus values people that people value the least, it's not just about you, it's other people around you too. Imagine what it would look like if we started modeling the love of our shepherd. We started reaching lost sheep. So ask yourself, am I modeling the love of Jesus, the love of the good shepherd, or am I being a thief, a robber? Am I going and looking to take from people? Am I approaching a Bible study with, what can I get out of this Bible study? Or are you thinking, how can I bless others based on what I've learned in this Bible study? How can I worship God with more of who I am based on what I learn in his book? And if you take that concept, all of a sudden, even the book of Leviticus can be a book in which you're learning about God. It doesn't matter if you're not learning about yourself. Because it's not about you. It's about how you can bless God and bless other people. Radically different from what we're used to. And this is what I think is very much lacking in a lot of churches today, if you just ask me. I know you didn't ask me, but I'm just going to tell you. I think a lot of people are going to church with this kind of, feed me, show me. And you go on the internet, you have access to every single Bible teacher in like almost history. It's not true at all, but like at least for the past couple hundred years, no, 100 years, not 300 years ago, you didn't have, well, maybe in books. I don't know. You have a lot of Bible teachers, what I'm trying to say. You're bound to find something for you, but the question is, are you learning about God and is it impacting and influencing your life so that you can be an influence in other people's lives? So that's why I'm encouraging you to go to Call to Serve class this Sunday. You know, maybe you've never done that before. Most likely none of you have ever done that, but that's okay. This Sunday is four weeks Starts at noon on a Sunday in the chapel room. And you're going to learn on how to be a servant so that you can be fully equipped on how to be a blessing to other people. You can serve in the church. You can be a greeter. You can be in children's ministry. You can be an usher. You might be able to be one of those people that, that goes to hospice or a person that visits a nursing home. You'll be fully equipped for every good work. And you'll have the means to do that. So take advantage of that. Let's finish out this chapter. We're just going to briefly highlight some things and then we're going to close. Verse 19. Therefore there was a division again amongst the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now is the feast of dedication, otherwise known as Hanukkah, in Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then the Jews answered, or the Jews took up some stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? I want to point out something really crucial here. And this is why we're going on in the rest of this chapter. He says that no one is able to snatch him from his hand. This is the shepherd that is willing to die for his sheep. So here's, here's the cool point that we can take away from this. You were a lost sheep once. Every one of us was lost. 
But once you are found, you never will be lost ever again. Once you find the good shepherd, there is no power in hell. There is no power in the earth. Nothing is able to separate you from the love of Jesus. And it doesn't matter how far away you run, you are never really lost because he'll go and find you. That is a comforting thing. It doesn't matter how bad you sin, how bad you stumble. Once you are found, you will never be lost ever again. The question is, have you made that commitment? Have you found the good shepherd? Have you been known by him? Does he know your name? And if he does, he will call to you and you'll know where he is, no matter how dark of a place you're in. Verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. So here, a little confusing passage. Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. They're saying, you're blaspheming. You're trying healing people on the Sabbath. You're doing all these things. And Jesus says, I'm not blaspheming. Even in the Old Testament, it says, you are God. It's not wrong to say that you're a God. He wasn't just saying that he's, he's not really the son of God. What he's saying is, listen, you guys are being so particular, you don't even know your own book. You're not even studying your own law. That's what he was getting at. So he's going back and forth with these Pharisees. But here you have the claim of Jesus saying that I and the Father are one. And they understood this, so they tried to put him to death right away. And in verse 40 it says, And, and he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. And many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. So he left, he went away, and people believed on him. And this is the last exhortation I'll give you before we closed. And it's based on verse 38, where he says, um, If I do do these works, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. What he's saying there is, listen, if you're not going to believe my testimony, at least believe the works. We've talked about it. it's not just about works. It's not just about the wonders. It's not about the signs and chasing the signs. But at least believe what you do see if you don't believe what you don't see. If you're saying, oh, I don't know if I can trust God because he hasn't come through with me in this area, at least believe what he has shown you already. Even the weakest of faith can cling to the strongest of saviors. So it doesn't matter the amount of your faith. Is it there? And if it's there, God can work with it. And God can call you to himself. And no one is able to snatch you from his hand. So even if you're shaky, you're like, I don't even know what this means or what this does. Believe on what God is showing you. I mean, look outside. You ever just go outside? And I remember walking around with Joe like uh, a month or two ago. And I was like, I can't remember last time I was walking around outside at night. And I just looked up at the sky. And there's stars and clouds and, the, you know, not the sun because that's gone. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. It's the simplest of things. And you look at it like, did we really believe that this is all just a mistake? If you go online, you can find this right now. It's, it's crazy. NASA is doing a webcam where you can see a 24-hour live stream of the Earth. 
from one of their uh, space stations. It's incredible. And you go online, I forget the exact link, but you can ask me afterwards, I'll find it. I just went on it, and the first thing I thought was like, oh my gosh, this is legit. This is real. Like, I'm looking at the Earth. You're always like, oh, I don't know, I didn't really go to the moon, I don't know. But you're looking, and it's like, this is the Earth, and it's so round. And there's clouds, and there it is. And beyond it is nothing, it's just space. It's like, do we really believe this whole thing was a mistake? At least believe in the littlest of things if you're not willing to believe the whole of who God is, because that will point. It says in the Bible that creation itself proclaims that he is God. So if you're here today and you're, sh- you're not sure, maybe you've even grown up in the church, but your, fake is con- your faith is kind of on shaky ground. You're not really sure what you believe. That's okay. Because if you pray that prayer, Lord, show yourself, make yourself real to me, he does. I pray that prayer all throughout elementary school, middle school, high school, because I just didn't know. I just genuinely didn't know if God existed. And now it's like there's so much evidence in my life, I can tell you a million things, and that's why I'm so excited, and that's why I like to tell people about these things sometimes. That I can't deny that I've met the the one true living God. And that'll happen to you if you're willing to listen to him. Let's pray. Father.